And we are glad that you are here with us this morning. Some people have been asking, what are we doing this summer? Well, we asked Ryan that exact same question. I said, what do you want us to do while you're on sabbatical this summer? And he said, just keep preaching through Acts. And that is just so Ryan of him to say that because he always says the word always is primary. The word is always first. And so just keep going with the word. And we said, okay. So that's what we're going to do this summer. We're going to keep working our way through the book of Acts. And we're going to have several men this summer up here taking us through Acts. Really excited about that. Today we're going to be in Acts 18. So if you want to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 18, that's where we're going to be this morning. As you turn to Acts 18, I want to tell you a little story. This morning, this is graduation season. So I think back to my own, some of my graduations, I've had a few, uh, but specifically I've been thinking about uh, when I graduated from college uh, way back in 1993, I know for some of you that seems like a long time ago, for me it seems like a long time ago, but once I graduated from college I had two paths that I was trying to decide between which, which direction I wanted to go in next. One of those paths was to, to go to a seminary in Alabama, the other one was to go to a seminary in Kansas City. Now, I was leaning towards wanting to go to the seminary on Alabama. Just maybe going farther away seemed kind of fun. Uh, but I was in a car accident that summer, totaled my car. They ruled it a no-fault accident, so there wasn't going to be any insurance to help out with any of that, even though I know it was the other guy's fault. Um, but what that meant was uh, I had to take the summer money that I'd spent saving up from working and get a new car. And so that changed my decision drastically for where I was going to go to seminary because it was cheaper to go to Kansas City than it was to go to Alabama. So to Kansas City, I went. So also in 1993, Mandy graduated from high school. Yes, I'm that much older than her. Um, and Mandy had two paths to choose from as well for where she was going to go to college. One was to go to a college in Manhattan, Kansas, and the other was to go to a college in Olathe, Kansas. Now, Mandy really wanted to go to the college that was in Manhattan. That was her first choice. Only problem is the financial aid did not come through like she hoped it would. But the financial aid did come through for the college in Olathe. And because there was more aid there, Mandy ended up heading to Olathe, Kansas. When I first arrived in Kansas City, I had a job, I was going to seminary, and neither one of those worked out for me. The job wasn't really working out with going to school, so I quit that job. And then seminary didn't turn out to be the seminary that I thought it was, so I ended up dropping out of that as well. And I was really kind of wondering, I'm in Kansas City now, what in the world am I supposed to do? What am I going to do? Uh, and, and my dad said, hey, there's that Christian bookstore in Olathe that you talk about a lot. Why don't you go get a job there? I said, okay. So I did, got a job there, ended up working there full time. While going to college in Olathe, one of Mandy's best friends got a job at that Christian bookstore as well. And as a result of that job and that friend, Mandy and I met finally in 1995. And the rest, as they say, is history. Now, I love to tell our story, and there are more details. If I had time, I would have filled in with you because it's a super fun story uh, to tell. Um, and I love to tell that story just to see how did our, the two backgrounds of our stories work their way together into one story and to become our story. And I just love thinking about that and talking about that. Now, when you look at that story and you think, man, it was just lucky that the two of you met each other that way. Or some people can look at that and go, well, it was just good fortune or, or by chance that everything worked out the way that it did. But as believers in a sovereign Lord, we don't believe in luck 
And we don't leave anything to chance, do we? Instead, we believe in design and intentionality and purpose as well. Because we believe in a God who is actively and continually working and moving in the lives of his people. And that is one of the things that we're going to look at today in our passage in Acts chapter 18. We're going to be in verses 1 through 23 today. And we're going to see several things that are happening to Paul and to those who are around him that are pretty amazing. Some of them are even a little unexpected. And yet they will all clearly show us that these things happen to them by design, by the sovereign hand of the Lord. So let's read together Acts 18, verses 1 through 23. If you could stand with me and honor reading God's word, you can follow along in your Bible, or you can uh, just watch it. will be on the screen here as well. This is the word of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And then they, and when they opposed and reviled him, He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading the people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questioning about words and names and your own laws, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And they drove him from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer. And then he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Serendere, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I'll return to you if the Lord wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. 
And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Thyatira, strengthening all of the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, the first act of sovereignty that I want us to see this morning is in verses 1 through 3. The first thing we see in verse 1 is Paul has made his way from Athens, where he was in Acts 17 that we saw last week, and has worked his way to Corinth. Now, we don't know exactly why, of all the places Paul could have gone to next, that he chose Corinth, but yet this is where he is. Then in verse 2, we learn about a man named Aquila and his wife Priscilla have also found their way to Corinth, but not for the reason that they were expecting. Aquila and Priscilla previously lived in Rome. That was their home. But that is not their home anymore because the Roman ruler Claudius has kicked all of the Jews out of the city of Rome. Claudia did this because he was tired of all of the upheaval that the Jewish people were continually creating within the city of Rome. So Claudius decided, hey, you know what? The best way to get rid of the upheaval is to get rid of the Jews. And so he forcibly removed all Jews from the city of Rome, which included Aquila and Priscilla. So Aquila and Priscilla, they need to find a new place. They need to find a new city to call home. And of all the places that they could have landed, they wind up in the city of Corinth. Now put yourself in Aquila and Priscilla's shoes for a moment with me, would you? They've been forcibly run out of town, kicked out of their home. They've been rejected. They're displaced. They're alone And they're starting all over from scratch. There's nothing or no one familiar around them at all. To say that they are discouraged is probably an understatement. At least I would be pretty discouraged if I were in their shoes. And yet, of all of the people that they could have possibly run into in Corinth, they just happened to run into Paul. Now, remember, this is before social media, right? You just can't post on your Facebook page that you've moved to a new location, Corinth. You know, they don't have cell phones or telephones or telegraphs. They don't have the postal service to forward their address or even the Pony Express. They don't have any of these things to communicate what has just happened to them. And yet, somehow, within the sprawling city of Corinth, displaced Aquila and Priscilla happened to run into the Apostle Paul. And that's incredible. Now, you may look at that and go, well, isn't that fortunate? You know, didn't, didn't, what, a, what a great coincidence for them. But Scripture says something different, doesn't it? I mean, Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19, 21 says, Many are the plans of the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So according to these verses, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla may have been planning to go to Corinth, but it is the Lord who is directing them to not only to the same city, but also to one another. This was a divine finding of each other. And the result is is that Paul partners in ministry together with Aquila and Priscilla. 
So just look at this. God takes this terrible situation that Aquila and Priscilla were in, and it turns into something really, really good for them. This is what God's providence is all about. God's providence means that God is sovereignly leading and moving his people for their good. God sovereignly moves people to where he needs them to be. Now, it may not always be easy, and sometimes it may be downright hard. But in the end, it was always, always for good. So, while Paul is in Corinth once again, he is all about proclaiming Jesus, as verses 4 and 5 tell us. Just look at the focus of Paul in these two verses. First thing, verse 4 tells us that Paul is reasoning with the people in the synagogue every Sabbath. So we see Paul week after week after week after week going to the synagogue, proclaiming Jesus to anyone who would listen. Paul never stops the work of preaching Jesus. Verse 4 also tells us that Paul is trying to, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks, which means Paul is trying to convince the people and to win them over to Christ. This intent focus on Jesus for Paul continues in verse 5 as well. Look at what it says. It says that Paul was preoccupied with the word. I love that word preoccupied. It gives us the idea that Paul is completely devoted and totally consumed with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus. This is the one thing that Paul is all about. Paul's Focus is on testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is not just some good moral teacher or good example to follow. No, Paul's aim is to proclaim to anyone who would listen that Jesus is the Christ, which means that he is the Messiah, which means he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the Lord over all. Jesus is Paul's mission and his message. Jesus is Paul's top priority, and that's it, nothing else. Paul's not going to be sidetracked by any other issue. I mean, just think about what is going on at this very moment for Paul in the culture at this time. His fellow Jewish brothers and sisters have all been exiled out of Rome. This is a mass exodus that took place. I'm sure that there are many there in the crowd in Corinth beside Priscilla and Aquila that are just like them, displaced. I mean, can you imagine what their frustration must be over the Roman government at this very moment? I mean, it doesn't seem very fair or right what they are doing. And yet Paul is not in the synagogue every Sabbath talking about the geopolitical issues of the day. He's not railing against Rome. He's not calling out Claudius for being unfair and treating the Jews in an unkind way. We don't see a hint of that here in Acts chapter 18. Instead, all we see is Paul talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one thing that mattered the most to Paul. And he wasn't going to let anything else distract him. Yet we see in verse 6 what happens next, that the people once again, as if right on cue, reject this message of Jesus. 
I mean, we've seen this time and time and time again as we've gone through Acts, right? Everywhere that Paul goes, it seems like he faces some sort of rejection and hostility and opposition, and that has come to Paul yet again. It's the same old song and dance for Paul, isn't it? And yet, just look at the resiliency of Paul in, verses, in verse 6, right? Look what he says. You know, that he shakes uh, the dust off of his garments. He says he's innocent of their blood because he's done all that he was called to do and proclaim the good news of Jesus to him. And he says, you know, I'm going to turn to the Gentiles now and proclaim the good news to them. I mean, he, this guy just doesn't give up, does he? I mean, it seems like no matter how much opposition comes his way, Paul just keeps on working, right? He's like a Timex watch. He takes a licking and just keeps on ticking. He's just going. But we do see some good gospel fruit take place in verses 7 and 8. Look at what it says there. It says, Tactitius Justice was saved. Along with all people, the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, and his whole family were saved too. And many other Corinthians believed as well, it tells us. Which is quite amazing when you consider what the city of Corinth is like. The city of Corinth is actually a port city. And because of this, there's all sorts of immorality that comes into the town from all sorts of various locations. And all that immorality stays in Corinth. If you did some research on Corinth, you would learn that Corinth is a very heathen city. It is full of idolatry. It is full of sin. Worship all sorts of foreign gods and all sorts of wicked acts. This is one messed up town, to put it lightly. And yet... People are coming to Christ. A church is formed. That's why we have 1 and 2 Corinthians, which goes to show us that no city, no matter how bad it is, is beyond saving. The power of the gospel is truly mighty to save, even in the darkest of places. And Paul is just relentless. Even though he's rejected in this town once again, Paul's message is not deterred. He just keeps plugging along. I mean, it seems like nothing phases this guy. Seems like Paul always has it all together, right? Or or does he? Because then you have verses 9 and 10. And I don't know about you, but as I was reading this passage, I was like, wow, these two verses kind of come out of nowhere, don't they? Jesus has this vision, or Paul has this vision in the night from Jesus. And Jesus gives Paul three commands and three promises. The commands are, do not be afraid, keep on speaking Jesus, and do not be silent. And then the three promises are, I am with you. No one will attack or harm you. I have many people in this city. And I love this because the promises inform the commands. And here's what I mean when I say the promises inform the commands. Because Paul's ability to not be afraid is because Jesus is with him. Paul's ability to be bold and to keep speaking Jesus is because Jesus has promised him, hey, no harm is going to come to you. Paul's encouragement to not be silent is because he's been given a promise that there are others like him in the city. You're not alone. 
And so I started to wonder, these promises are great, and I love reading this, but I was thinking, like, why does Jesus give these words to Paul at this particular moment, right? Well, we can only assume that Paul needed to hear these words from Jesus. And the good news is, is this. Jesus sovereignly knew what Paul needed in that moment, and he gave it to him. Now, when we read Acts, we get this sense, or at least I do, that Paul was some sort of Superman, right? Like behind his tunic is this bright red S on him because nothing seems to faze him, that he's this tough guy and that he can take anything that is thrown his way. But Paul may not be as invulnerable as we think he is. As a matter of fact, just listen to what Paul and how he describes himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3 while he was with them in Corinth here in Acts chapter 18. Listen to what he says. He says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So Paul needed help on his mission just like you and I do. And I find that comforting to know. And the good news is that Jesus wants to give promises. He wants to give help. He wants to give reassurances. This is the generosity of Jesus. And look at what this word of Jesus does for Paul, because in verse 11, it says that he stays in Corinth for another year and a half. Paul is trusting in the presence and the power of the promises of Jesus, and he decides to stay. Paul obediently continues to do the work of proclaiming the good news of Christ to those in Corinth. And then these promises of Jesus become remarkably true in our next uh, section in verses 12 through 17. I mean, this is an uncanny story of the work of Jesus sovereignly moving and fulfilling his promises to Paul. We see the the Jews, they make this united attack against Paul for preaching Jesus, and they bring him before the tribunal, and specifically Gallio, who is the Roman leader, the proconsul in the region there. The charge that the Jews bring is that the message that Paul is preaching about Jesus goes directly against their Jewish religion. And it says that Paul is getting ready to open his mouth and make his defense, and then the remarkable happens, right? Because Gallio speaks up instead. Paul never says a thing. And Gallio totally says something unexpected in verses 14 and 15. Basically, what he's saying in these two verses is that Gallio wants nothing to do with these Jewish people and their theological debate that they're having with Paul. Which is quite amazing, because what Gallio is doing and what he's saying in this moment is that he recognizes that Christianity is a legitimate religion and not some offbeat cult that needs to be dealt with. See, religion under Roman rule was fine as long as it didn't interfere with anything going on with Rome. And so this ruling by Gallio is significant because Christianity now has merit. And now at this point, from a Roman perspective, Christianity is able to peacefully spread throughout the Roman Empire and does so for many decades. But for Paul, what does it mean? For Paul, it means he's protected just like Jesus said he would be. No harm has come to Paul, 
just like Jesus promised. And Paul doesn't even have to say a thing to defend himself. Jesus has proven himself to be faithful and trustworthy, a promise keeper. And even in the moment when it seemed the most intense, right, Jesus comes through and does so sovereignly by working through a heathen Roman official of all people. Just like Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. And here in Acts 18, what do we see? That Jesus is sovereignly working in the heart of Gallio, not only to protect Paul, but also to promote the peaceful spread of the gospel. And that brings us to our final section in our passage this morning in verses 18 through 23. Basically, what we see here is Paul leaving Corinth and continuing his travels on his second missionary journey tells us that Paul takes Aquila and Priscilla with him, and they set sail for Syria, and they end up in Ephesus. It says while they're in Ephesus that Paul preaches in the synagogue, and they ask Paul, hey, will you stay for a while? And Paul declines their offer by saying, I will return to you if the Lord wills. Here we see that Paul is trusting in God and his sovereign plan, not only for him, but for the people of Ephesus as well. If the Lord wants Paul back in Ephesus, guess what? He will be back, and nothing will stop that from happening. And then, interestingly, Paul leaves Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus, which is also a significant sovereign move by God that we'll see more of in next week's passage. Then Paul heads to Caesarea, and then it says he goes to Antioch and Galatia and Phygra, 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 with the whole lot um, of places for Paul to go. And then we see Paul's motivation for why he goes to all these places at the end of verse 23. Look at the end of verse 23 with me. It says that he's gone to all these places and all these towns to strengthen all all of the disciples. Here we see that Paul's focus is not only on proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the lost, but he's also focused on encouraging the believers to continue in the gospel as well. Paul goes to great lengths, traveling all these places for the purpose of encouraging the believers in all of those towns. And that brings us not only to the end of Paul's second missionary journey, but also to the end of our passage today as well. And I believe there are several takeaways that we can um, gain from this passage and that we can uh, put them into two main categories in the form of two questions. The first question is this, what are you trusting in? And the second question is, is what are you focusing on? First is, what are you trusting in? From this passage, I think I see that we, there are two things that we should be trusting in. One is the sovereignty of God, and two are the promises of Jesus. See, because when you know that God is sovereign, it means that you know that God is always moving, that God is always working, and that God is always doing something in your life and in the lives of those around you, and that you can trust Him, even when it's hard. Because God is always good. He's always good, even in the hard. 
And he's doing something good in the heart. Because God is good. It's in his nature. And just ask Aquila and Priscilla, right? I don't think that when they learned that they were getting ready to be kicked out of their home and out of their city in Rome, that they would end up meeting and partnering with Paul in ministry. I mean, that's an incredible transformation, right? To go from being displaced, from being in ministry, and all because God moved them from Rome to Corinth and moved Paul from Athens to Corinth all at the same time. So this means God is moving in your life too. He is. He's moving. Nothing happens out of random or chance in your life. Absolutely nothing. Everything that happens to you is intentional and has purpose and design by a sovereign God. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. I love that. It doesn't say he does something that he pleases or most things that he pleases. So he does all that he pleases. So God always does good for his people. No matter what situation or season of life you may be in, God is working. He is on the move, even in unexpected ways sometimes. So don't give up. I mean, just ask Paul in his encounter with Gallio. No one thought Jesus would move in the heart of Gallio, but that's exactly what Jesus sovereignly did. God can work in all people, even in rulers and authorities. And what this means is, as you look around at our cultural landscape today, remember, God is holding it all in his sovereign hand, and he's working it all out for his sovereign plan. Displacement of Jewish people out of Rome was fully in control in God's hands. So everything that you see happening today in our nation and our world, and we have to admit there's a lot going on in our nation and our world right now, but you know what? God's fully in control of that too. So if God can work in all these situations, he can work in your situation too. So trust him. Trust him. God's sovereignty is meant to encourage and strengthen your trust in him. But we are also called to trust in the promises of Jesus as well. I mean, I think it is just awesome that Jesus always knows words that we need to hear at just the right time, just like he did with Paul here. And we have all the words and all the promises of Jesus that we could possibly need right here in his word. Timely words come often. So I was reflecting on this. I, I kept thinking of time and time again when I'm reading the word of God and I come across a verse and it's like, that's exactly what I needed in this particular moment. I mean, have you had those moments where you're reading the word and all of a sudden there's a word that just hits you and you're like, that's exactly what I need in the situation that I'm in right now. And God is so good to give us promises and to give us timely words. And so that got me thinking, you know what? This is a motivation for us to come and read our Bible often. Because when you come and when you read and you read often, you give yourself more and more opportunities to let Jesus speak timely words of promise for you. But on the flip side, you can't get a timely word from Jesus if you're not reading his word. You miss out on opportunities for promises of encouragement if you aren't coming 
to read. So can I encourage you, come, read, and read often, and receive a timely word of a promise of Jesus. It's for your good. It's meant to build up hope in you. It's meant to stir you on, to remind you of God and who he is, his character, his promises. Because when you are armed with the promises of Jesus, you don't have to fear the way Paul did. Paul didn't fear because it was something in and of himself. He didn't fear because he'd armed himself with the promises of Jesus. Paul was not bold because he was bold in and of himself. He was bold because he armed himself with the promises of Jesus. You can fight on, you can grow, you can trust, you can be revived when you come to the word and see great words of encouragement. So, trust in God's sovereignty and trust in the promises of Jesus. These are two great realities for you to live in. But secondly, is this, what is your focus? Everywhere that Paul went, his focus was on Jesus. Paul wanted to help people come to know Jesus as Savior, and then he wanted to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. All of Paul's attention was given to these two things, the proclamation of Jesus as Savior and encouragement of the church to continue to grow in Jesus. And for me, as I was thinking about this focus of Paul over this past week, I'll tell you, it was humbling and challenging for me to see the single-mindedness of Paul's devotion to Jesus. And it was convicting to me. Because we live in a distractible age, do we not? I mean, the list of things that can distract me are long, right? Top of the list, my phone, right? Cell phone, internet, television, movies, sports, busyness. You name it, I am probably distracted by it. We all have our distractions, do we not? But yet Paul was not given to distraction, it seems. I mean, he even says so uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2 when he reflected on his time with them in Acts chapter 18. He also this said this, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his focus. His focus was on Jesus. So I started to wonder, how did Paul get this way? I mean, how does Paul have such a focus? Because I want to learn to have more of a focus the, the way Paul does. And the verse that came to my mind in thinking about this is Philippians 3 in chapter 8, where Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And I think what Paul is telling us in this verse is this. You focus on that which you treasure the most. You focus on that which you treasure the most. And for Paul, what he treasured more than anything was Jesus. So Jesus became his focus because that's where his treasure is. And when that happens, when Jesus becomes your highest treasure, your greatest good, and that becomes your focus, what happens is everything else around you is loss and rubbish. 
That's how Paul wasn't able distracted because he saw everything else around him as lesser things because he saw Jesus first and foremost. So can I encourage you this morning? Let's come to Jesus. Come to Jesus often for the purpose of seeking the promises that he has for us. And I believe this, as we see more and more of the promises of Jesus, what we do is we let that inform us to say, look at what a great treasure he is. All these promises are meant to build up the greatness of Christ and show his value and his worth and say, he is worth it. He is a great treasure. And that as we treasure him more and more, that we will also focus on him exclusively more and more as well. This morning, we are going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper. Hopefully, you grabbed one of these cups when you came in this morning. And what the Lord's Supper allows us to do is that it allows us to take a moment to pause and to reflect and to focus in on Jesus. So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to take a couple of moments and just pause and reflect and focus in on Jesus. Focus in on his death and all that he did for us to secure our salvation, and what a great treasure that we have in him. So let's just slow down for a moment, and let's meditate, and let's focus in on Christ. Father God, I thank you for Jesus and what a great Savior we have in him. Jesus would come and die for sinners. Bring forgiveness, bring life, 
bring hope, bring peace, bring reconciliation, that you uh, drew us near to God. And we thank you for that sacrificial work of Christ on the cross, that he died in our place, the perfect, spotless, innocent lamb of Jesus would die for broken people like us in order to make us whole. God, I pray that you would help us to focus in more on Jesus and help us to treasure Jesus more. I know that the, the, it is a fight to see. So help us in that fight and help us to see Jesus more as the great treasure that he truly is. That we love him more than anything. Pray this in your name. Amen.